Steve Gallagher was diagnosed nearly two years ago with ALS, which many of us know as Lou Gehrig's disease. And many of you may know Steve personally, um, or for sure through his advocacy online, because he's really been active in bringing awareness to ALS and getting support and funding for a disease that is, again, not really well known. This coming Sunday is the uh, June 20th is the annual walk for ALS. And this year, interns at Niagara Health have a team called Larry's Interns. And the leader of this team is Steve's daughter, Olivia's lemur, which is pretty, pretty cute. And if you haven't seen the video, you got to go on and see the video and maybe follow. I think there's going to be some other videos with with uh, Larry the lemur. Hi, Steve. Hi, Janice. Thanks for having me on. Well, I've wanted to have you on the show for, for quite a while now uh, to talk about the effect ALS has had on your emotional, emotional well-being and mental health. And honestly, I thought maybe the questions might be too personal. And, and so I sort of kept away from it. And then I saw ALS walk is coming up June 20th. And I thought, OK, it's time to talk to Steve so people can you know, it brings it to the forefront and people can understand what this terrifying disease is like. So you were an incredibly fit person. And uh, I think you said you used to run 10K or, but when you were diagnosed with ALS a couple of years ago, what made you go to the hospital in the first place? Well, um, so it actually started in November, 2018. And I was bowling with my then four-year-old daughter, Olivia, the aforementioned Olivia. And uh, I noticed some stiffness in my hand, uh, in my right hand. So, um, you know, typical me, I put it off for a couple of months. But after that, I went to my family doctor and they uh, did an x-ray of my hand. And they actually, at the time, diagnosed it as overuse arthritis. And I thought, oh, typical. I'm on my phone a lot. I'm typing away. We probably all have overused arthritis. But after about two months, I noticed that I couldn't even put my fingers together on my hand. And actually, it just so happened, I was having lunch at the hospital with um, two of our excellent orthopedic surgeons. And I kind of made a joke saying, hey, guys, do you think you could fix this issue? And actually, it was then that they noticed, and I didn't see this, they noticed that I was losing muscle in my uh, forearm and in my hand. I couldn't see it, but they're doctors, and, and um, they said, you know, you need to get to a neurologist as soon as possible. And needless to say, that, that put a big scare in me, but I am forever grateful to those two. So that's what triggered me to actually get an appointment with a neurologist. And after about three months of testing, a lot of testing, I was diagnosed with ALS. I know that it must've been a shock, but I'm interested in what, what were the words, kind of like the exact words that went through your head when you're told that you have ALS? So I, even when I knew it was a possibility, um, and it was about two months before my diagnosis. That was shocking to learn that because I didn't know a lot about ALS other than it's a dreadful disease and, um, you know, it's fatal and there isn't a cure. 
But throughout the testing, um, we were optimistic. My family and I were optimistic that it was maybe something else. That's how they um, determine ALS. They rule out other conditions. So ironically, I had a lot of hope. It, when The day I was diagnosed, I actually thought the doctor was going to say, hey, you know what? Your spine is messed up. You need to go for surgery. Um, getting that diagnosis, having him tell me that, um, I often say in life, we get thrown curveballs. Um, honestly, it, it felt like I got um, drilled in the head with a hundred mile per hour fastball. Um, I, I knew it was a possibility, but it was, it was gut-wrenching to say the least. And, um, you know, Janice, I was in a very dark place in those early days. Uh, I know people in the, we have a, a bunch of the same friends and kind of acquaintances and uh, so people knew about it pretty quickly, actually, and you couldn't put it together, right? You couldn't put the athletic, uh, you know, kind of like smart, savvy family guy together with, and in, I mean, it's rare, right? You're the first person who I've known personally um, with ALS, and, uh, and it's I think most of us, if we know about ALS, think of it as next to cancer, maybe, or equally to cancer, the scariest thing you could possibly live with. And the, the life expectancy isn't that long, generally, um, but I understand that you, you've been undergoing some experimental treatments that have made things a little bit better. Yeah, it's not experimental. So, um, Oh, okay. I but, thought maybe but, it was. Yeah, no, I, I can explain that. Um, life expectancy is two to five years for 80% of people diagnosed with ALS, two to five years after diagnosis. Um, sadly, many die in the first year, but there is 10% that live beyond the five years. And that's, uh, you know, that's obviously what I hang, I hang on to. The uh, medication I receive is an IV treatment called Radicap, and I get it 10 days out of the month at home by a home care nurse, takes about an hour each time, and it's fairly new. So I think it was experimental about three years ago, but Health Canada approved it about three years ago. And, um, you know, in the history of ALS, there are only two approved treatments in Canada. Um, uh, oral medication that I take twice a day that research shows is meant to extend life by months. Um, and then the IV treatment, which is meant to slow the progression. And so that's uh, currently what I'm receiving and also fighting for, um, you know, uh, advances in care. There's a lot of great research happening um, and that gives me hope. You know, it's always surprising that um, a disease that was uh, identified as many years ago as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease is, is still at a place where we can't explain it and say, oh, you know, here's a treatment. And, and it's not the only one. I mean, there are quite a number that just, you know, they baffle the medical profession. On the continuum of health, where would you say you are now? Since my diagnosis? 
Yes. Very blessed. And why I say that is I am. Um, one thing I, I've done since my diagnosis is focus on my family and spending as much time with my, my family and, and my daughter, Olivia. But I also chose to be a voice, to be an advocate, um, and to um, lend my voice to the chorus of people who are doing that, like ALS Canada. Um, and so through that, um, I often hear from people about how a relative had been diagnosed a year ago and they can no longer walk, they can no longer talk. So I'm not sure, I'm not a neurologist, but my neurologist always says, you're doing well. And so I am super grateful for that. And it may sound odd because I have a diagnosis like ALS, but my mindset is that I'm doing well and I'm, I'm not sick. I have a diagnosis. Yeah, and um, not that people who are not um, as well as you are not positive people, but certainly the positive thinking, the advocacy, um, and your health prior, because you were like a super fit guy, has helped. Now, I'm curious, um, you talk about Olivia, and I know pretty much from the beginning, you've been doing some recordings that... Livia will have to listen to you. And I guess one is that helpful for you. And do you think it will help her know and uh, know and remember you better? I, I hope so. I, my experience with that is I lost my dad when he, when I was seven, he was only 38. My dad had MS and, uh, you know, they come a long way with MS. This is in the the 1970s, but one of the biggest thing with my dad is I don't have many memories of him. And so I have a, a couple of notebooks in which he doesn't talk about his life story, but it's just something of him that I cherish deeply. Um, I don't have any audio recordings of him. So I mean, no, my aim is to live a long time, but I'm also, I'm optimistic and I'm realistic. So I'm trying to leave that behind for Olivia, um, whether it's photos, recordings, um, you know, written word for her. I'm a writer. So if that's something that I can leave behind as a legacy and um, that she always knows how much her dad loves her. How did you explain it to her? Because she was she was really quite young. Was she about four, four years old or five? She was five. Yeah. Yeah. How do you explain something like this to a five-year-old? Yeah. And, you know, the, the ALS Society of Canada, um, this is a big part of their work supporting families. And so we have chosen, Olivia understands that I have uh, a disease. Um, you know, at this stage, she, you know, the choice is she doesn't need to understand the extent of it at this point. Um, you know, we do have literature available when that time comes and supports. But, you know, at this stage, she understands that, that dad um, has a weakened hand. And that's my biggest thing. My arm and hand are, are weak. And, you know, it's sweet. She'll often leave me notes or um, ways to improve my hand. And uh, again, when, when with, I think with each stage, uh, Janice, 
we we approach it then on um, how we discuss that with her. But we are always there to answer any questions that she might have. Yeah, that's um, that's a hard situation, I'm sure. I want to talk a little bit about COVID, which I, I generally try to avoid these days. But I think that, I mean, one of two things could be happening with you and COVID from, and I'm thinking from a mental health perspective, either you're feeling potentially um, being isolated is more difficult for you because you really need to be able to reach out and, and, uh, and be with people. Or on the other hand, you've got social media, you have Zoom, you can do phone interviews. So it, it has, I guess the question is, has it been worse for you or do you feel that maybe it has been a bit helpful? I think a bit of both, but the part where I would say I haven't liked it, it can go for everyone. I love to travel. And I know my window for travel may be limited. So I'm eager. I'm eager to get back home to New Brunswick, where I grew up. I'm eager to go to some places in the world um, that I really want to see. And I, I mentioned to you earlier that Olivia and I had a flight plan to New Brunswick and Fredericton, where I'm from. Uh, a couple of days before the pandemic was declared. And so we had to cancel that flight. So, but I think that goes for everyone. Um, you know, things like Zoom, um, social media, I um, have now regular connections with friends that I didn't have regular connections with before COVID, whether that's friends in the Ottawa areas, friends in New Brunswick. Um, and I think that is more related to ALS. And a diagnosis like this gives you an opportunity to reach out to those people in your life, to pause and say, I want you to know how much you mean to me. Uh, maybe it's somebody that I would talk to a couple of times a year. So instead of talking two times a year, we're talking every month. So there's a benefit actually uh, on both sides because you make that connection back with a person who's probably missed you and life had just got so busy and you just, you know, you kept saying, oh, I'll call, I'm going to call. And then it, it never happens. I want to talk about the, the mental health counseling that has continued and sort of the, the obviously challenges that, uh, that you face. And when we were talking before, you said you don't like to talk about Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS as a terminal illness. It's an illness with no cure. But you're still going through uh, a situation where, you know, when you get up in the morning, do you get up every morning and think, wow, I have to battle this again today? And, and how are you dealing with that situation? So, um... I'm reminded two years, almost two years since my diagnosis, I've got, you know, um, I always say ALS is um, delivers some blows to my body. So I can feel it in my legs more than I could a year ago. Um, a year ago, I could go run. I can't physically run anymore. But I always say I focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. So I can still walk. Um, Maybe I'll need a cane soon to maybe support me because my one leg is um, very weak. Um, a big thing for me 
after my diagnosis. And again, um, I, I, I told the people closest to me and, um, um, and, and I think it's hard because they have a hard time knowing what to say. And, um, you know, I even remember somebody mentioning, I hope you have your affairs in order. And they meant it in the nicest way possible. I mean, at the end of the day, we should all have our affairs in order. But, you know, I thought, boy, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm still here, you know. But, of course, that's something that um, is important to do, whether or not you have a, have a diagnosis. Um, I then also remember, I actually didn't want to read a lot about ALS after I was diagnosed. That might sound strange, but I had family around me who was supporting me and they were maybe doing more of that work. I remember reading a New York Times story about ALS and they called it the, the disease, the glass coffin disease. And that really bugged me. And it bugged me so much. It, it scared me. Um, and words like devastating, um, those sort of words, people say it, but it, I, I know it is. I'm, maybe for me, I just don't like hearing that kind of stuff. I'm super realistic. I know it is a fatal disease right now, um, but I also need to focus on hope. And the big thing for me, getting out of that darkness, and instead of focusing on the three letters, ALS, and going to focusing on four letters, H-O-P-E, were a number of factors, including getting some counseling on the mental health side. I recognized right away, Janice, that my, I need to look after my mental health as much as my physical health. And um, I, I, you know, as I look back, you know, at the age of 47, when it happened, I probably could have done that more in my life, um, on different moments in my life. But, you know, I, I can't go back. But in this moment, I need that. I knew I needed help. And I received that help. And occasionally I jump back in when I need it. Um, there are moments that are a bit tougher, um, especially when there are you know, maybe new stages of the disease impacting So, Yeah, I think we're all learning a little bit, um, some people more about mental health and just in, in COVID. And I talk about this a lot. I mean, my show is about mental health. So of course I talk about this a lot, but, you know, I think you're right that we all, we all need mental health at all points of time in our life. And all of us can say, I should have started this sooner or, and I'm, and I'm very glad to hear that the way you're working with it, it, it's helping you keep that, that hope and looking forward. I'm not totally surprised, Steve, because you are an extremely positive person. So, uh, and you're keeping, and you're keeping that up. And I like the idea that you've adopted the four, the four letters, H-O-P-E. ALS Walk is next Sunday. And you have last year you were doing superheroes. And I don't know, I think Larry the lemur is kind of a superhero. At least when I saw him on your video, he looked like a superhero. But tell me how, how that all came to be. Um, well, Larry has been making regular uh, appearances on 
my Zoom conference call with my communications colleagues at the uh, hospital. And they surprised me about two months ago. They created a team called Larry's Interns. And again, Larry is a lemur. It's my daughter's lemur. Who would have thought that a lemur could generate so much interest? Um, we have raised, as of June 8th, we have raised over $11,000. Wow. Which is absolutely amazing. And um, the walk is held across the country. So I'm just one of the cogs in the wheel. I'm not an organizer, but I'm so happy to lend my voice to the walk. And, you know, that's uh, the fundraiser is super important to support patients living with ALS. Um, it can be very expensive as well with machines that are needed um, at different stages. So the ALS Society does an amazing job of supporting people. And the money also goes to, um, to research, which is um, as equally important for me. Um, you know, the walk is virtual, so you can do it anywhere. You don't even have to walk, right? I mean, you know, maybe you uh, draw some pictures or just find a way. Um, I'm walking a bit slower this year, but I'll still be out there, uh, you know, with um, um, with Olivia and my family, and um, uh, that's uh, super important to me. And so far, you've raised eleven thousand dollars, and there's still a week to go. How do people donate? Well, they can just even jump on if they want to participate or donate. Um, go to the website walk to endals.ca. Again, um, it's a tough time for everyone. So the support has been huge. And last year across Canada, um, ALS Canada, which did not receive government funding. Um, so these sort of events are super important to them. Um, raised, I think the walk raised over 1.1 million. So wow. No, wow. Well, what a great way to get out. It's finally gotten warm. And what a great way to get out. I don't think last year we weren't at the stage where we're at now where it's everybody's like, oh my God, it's June and I can go out and walk. So fantastic, fantastic. I'm going to finish off because you're a major, major, major baseball fan. So uh, you've got a really great shout out at a Blue Jays game last week. Yeah, uh, super surprised. Um, last uh, June 2nd was the first ever Lou Gehrig Day in Major League Baseball. It will be an annual event. And, you know, as many people know this disease as Lou Gehrig's disease. So um, a great way to honor him and a great way to raise awareness about ALS. And, uh, you know, when I think about the sixth inning, uh, Mark Martinez was talking about the Derek's day um, and happened to give me a shout out, which was really nice. Um, but as I've said, uh, that shout out should be going to all of the ALS warriors and advocates out, out there. And, um, you know, I, my hope, my hope is drawn from them. Um, my hope is, um, you know, about honoring the memory of the people who have passed away from this disease and, um, you know, just further being a champion and um, 
and being part of that. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. And maybe we can talk again uh, a few months down the road. Thank you, Janice. That would be awesome.